Morning, everyone. Morning, everyone. And very welcome to our service this morning. And I hope you had a lovely coronation day yesterday. And anyone that's watching online, you're very welcome to join us this morning. Uh, just a few announcements to go through. Um, coronation celebration event, uh, celebration tomorrow here takes place between 12.30 and half past three in the afternoon, whether it's raining or whether the sun is shining. And we hope to see you all there. Um, as you know, it's a big opportunity for Ballycrocken Presbyterian Church to, to connect with the community. Uh, we aim to be more than just a friendly church. We want to be an inviting church. We want to be reaching out. We want to be approachable. We want to be compassionate, loving, and open to all. So please do all you can, if you can, to make this a reality. Come along, bring friends, bring neighbors, bring family. Uh, you're very, very welcome. There's a, a meeting of Kirk Session on Tuesday, this Tuesday night at half past seven. And also thank you to all who've contributed to the Easter gift day offering. Uh, to date, we have received a total of 2,181 pounds and there's still time to give using the Easter gift day offering envelopes. A reminder just of the next men's fellowship meeting on Saturday the 13th of May, that's Saturday coming. And this is a good opportunity for men to have fellowship together over breakfast and to hear a gifted speaker. The Reverend James Burnett from Belfast Bible College uh, is our speaker this Saturday. Hopefully you can attend and bring a friend or two as well. I just want to start with a couple of wee Bible readings. Acts chapter one, verse eight. I love this verse. Uh, Jesus says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That's their hometown. Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You shall be my witnesses. And Jesus doesn't call us to go out and do a degree in theology. All he's asking each of us is to share our own experiences of Jesus in our own lives, something that we have experienced, what he means to us. So that makes us, in a sense, all of us outreach workers, whether it be for today or for tomorrow or for the, the days ahead, outreach workers, being able to wi willingly speak about what Jesus means to us and what he does for us. John, in his first letter, uh, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our eyes have touched, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've heard him. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we've seen it, and we've testified to it. We proclaim to what we have seen and heard. And that's what Jesus calls all of us to do. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you uh, for this morning. Lord, we want to sing of a King of Kings and Lord of Lords this morning as we reflect on the coronation. Lord, we pray that you would come amongst us. You know people's concerns as they come into this house, into this church, Lord. Father, you know their concerns. We pray that you would move in their hearts and move from seat to seat and meet their needs. And Lord, encourage them if they need encouraged. Lord, give them hope if they've lost a little bit of hope, give them faith. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. So we're going to start off and we're going to center on Jesus. Jesus, we enthrone you. 
that whenever we raise Jesus Christ up, when we build a throne for him and we lift him high, he draws all of us to himself. Okay, I'm going to ask Linda McKnight to come. And she's going to do a reading for us, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thank you, Linda. Okay, do we have any children? I think we've got a couple. Look under the seat, see if there's anybody there. Any coming up, or if you want to stay, it's okay. Okay, have our wee slides on, Chris. Uh, thanks. <laughs> I'm too frightened, I'm a dizzy. Well, okay. Now, 
I'll talk to the, the, the bigger kids. Okay. Listen, what happened yesterday? <laughs> what King Charles III, he doesn't look too happy there now, very pressurized, but he was made king of Great Britain and of the United Kingdom, and he had fancy robes put on him, and he had a crown on him, and he had all that responsibility put on him as king. And people nodded as he went past. Some women curtsied as he went past, acknowledging how great he was and how powerful he was, and with total respect and honor. And so we can pray for our king because he has a massive job ahead of him. But I, the Bible talks about another kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, where there's a kingdom, there must be a king. And we're told in um, Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, that he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who do you think that King of the Kingdom is? <laughs> Who do you think that King is of the Kingdom of God? Jesus, well done. Yes, Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And we're told he's king of kings. In other words, he's higher than any other king that there ever has been or ever will be. Lord means master. So he's master over every other master or, or boss or anything. He's king of kings and he's lord of lords. Isn't that amazing? And that is Jesus himself. But we're told from the passage that Linda read out, we're told that Jesus basically took off his robes from heaven. He left his throne. He left the glory of heaven. He left the paved golden pavement, which we're told about in Revelation 21, the golden pavement of heaven, the beautiful place, and he came down to earth to walk on the dusty streets of Bethlehem and Jerusalem and to be able to go over and meet people and say hello to people and heal people and talk to people and, and pick up the children in his arms and bless them and love them, which he couldn't do if he was away up in heaven. So, but he came down here as a servant. Now, what I want to do is ask you, ask you, what do we really need? What is it? What do you need? I'm not talking about wants. We're going to want a lot of things. But what do we need? What can we not survive without? Anything? Anybody want to give me any ideas? What was that? Love. That's a good one. We can't do without love. Yes. Somebody over here said water. Air. Anybody else? Food. Good. Well, I've got them in a different order. So, <laughs> right. First of all, food. Well, oh, hold on. First of all, food. Now, we couldn't do without food. We need to eat. And Jesus knew we need to eat. And so he tried to connect with the people by saying, listen, you know we, you have to eat. And bread was a staple diet back then. That's what they mainly ate 
made from corn, made from grain, made from different things for that they grow from the ground. So he was saying, just, you know the way you have to eat every single day and it's crucial and you'll die if you don't eat. I am the bread of life. I am as crucial as your food. Likewise with water, now you'd, you can dehydrate, you can survive longer without going, without having food than you can with water. You need water, you need fluids. Jesus again connecting with the people you know that you need to drink, and especially out in Israel, where it's very warm and in the desert, as they went through the desert, it was parching. And he was talking to this woman at Samaria, and she was getting them some water out of the well. And he said, you know the way, basically saying, you know the way that you need to drink. He said, likewise, I'm crucial. I'm the one who can give you living water. I can give you life. Eating is essential so am I. Drinking is essential, so am I. And someone, I think it was Barry, said about air. Now, I don't have that packaged, but we've got plenty of it here. And uh, the, the thing about it is, you could not do anything if you didn't have air. You couldn't ride your bike, you couldn't go to school, you couldn't do anything, nothing could you do without air. You, you just couldn't live without air. But you can't see air. You can't see air, but it's essential. You can't see God, but he's essential in our lives. Absolutely essential. And what Paul, he was talking to these real intellectual people in Athens, and he said, in him, that is in God, we live and move and have our being. God wanted us to depend on him so much that it would be like breathing, that we couldn't do anything. We, he wanted us to be dependent upon him for everything. We can't do anything without God. And that's why Paul writes, in him we live and move and have our being. God is essential for life, essential for eternal life. Now, Men and women, when they started to rebel against God, what happened was they started looking at what they wanted rather than what they needed. So they were going after all the things that they wanted and forgot the very things that they needed. And so what Jesus did was that was his reason for coming down to earth. He said about the bread... He said, just as you need to eat every day, you need me every day. Just like you need water every day, you need me for life every day. Just like you need air to breathe and to do anything every day, you need me. But man had got lost, looking after things that he wanted, looking for things that he wanted rather than the things that he needed. And so when Jesus came down from heaven, he left the glory of the royal crown for the crown of thorns. And he said, I reminded people of their need for God. And then he said, do you want to come back to God again? Do you really want to come back to God again? I can make that work because I'm going to a cross. I'm going to be punished for your sin. I'm going to be punished for the sins of the world, and I will open up for you a way back to my Father again. And so that's exactly 
what he did. That is what he did. But you know what, boys and girls, that passage that Linda read from for us, sorry. Jesus is King of Kings, higher than any other king ever, higher than ever on the ever, any other Lord. He is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's master over everyone and everything. And we're told to come and to turn to Christ and to bow the knee to him and ask him into our lives. And if we don't, we're told that at the end, at the end, when we stand before him, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every nation, even President Putin, whether he likes it or not, will have to bow before the, for, before the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Hitler will have to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. Okay, I've got wee things here, wee books, the wee, wee memorials for you. There's a wee puzzle in this, different wee puzzles. Okay, would you like one? Okay. Anybody else like a wee book? Says the new king. Jackson, do you want one? Oh, you got one? You've been, <laughs> okay, you've beaten me. Anybody else? I'll leave them here. If there's anybody, if you want to take one for your grandchildren or your uh, cousin or anybody at home, just I'll leave them here. You can pick one up afterwards. But let's pray a wee minute. Lord Jesus, we thank you for King Charles III. And Lord, the pressure, we could see it on his face yesterday of taking on all of those responsibilities. But Lord, we know the reality of the situation is that he won't touch many of our lives. Um, but Lord, we thank you that you came down and you've touched many people's lives, thousands upon thousands, and you've touched people's lives in Ballycrocken. And we just pray, Lord, that we voluntarily might bow the knee before our Savior and King of Kings. Uh, Lord, that we would come to know your Father through what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to sing, uh, we're going to sing, Rejoice the Lord is King. <laughs>
Okay, as the boys and girls head out to Sunday Club, um, we're going to receive your offering uh, this morning. Thank you. Jesus, we thank you that your love is sacrificial. You don't know any other kind of love. It's sacrificial. It's a love that made you come down to us, that you could walk the dusty streets of earth, that you could meet us face to face, and that you could bring us into relationship with our Father, your Father in heaven. Father, these offerings are so minimal. Lord, we could never pay back what you have done for us. But Lord, we pray that these offerings from our good folk here in this congregation might be used to extend your kingdom on this, in this area, to bring the rule and love of Jesus Christ to people in Ballycrocken. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. In our hearts, Jesus, we bow before you as our King of kings and Lord of lords, high and lifted up, yet you're amongst us. You are perfect in every way, yet you touch us. Only by the shedding of your precious blood can we come into your presence, saved by your grace, which enables us to respond in faith. King of kings, Lord of lords, we thank you that you walked this earth because of your love for us. You exchanged a royal crown for a crown of thorns. May our hearts just burst with joy, with thankfulness and appreciation for what you have done. 
Jesus, I thank you that you chose the fishermen, ordinary men, to take the gospel to many, and you call us to do the same. It's such a privilege to be a bearer of the new wine of the gospel, a gospel which, if acted upon, brings life for any man or any woman in the kingdom of God, life eternal. Lord Jesus, we pray, be with us tomorrow. May this not just be a social event, but may it be a kingdom of God event, one event where your Holy Spirit will move in conversations, in acts of love and sacrifice, in fellowship, also amongst one another. May your love shine through us one, everything, in everything we do. We pray that you would speak through us and live through us and show the love to our neighbors through us. And so we pray that you may live in us and through us, strengthen us for the task, and may we be a light in the darkness, a place of hope for those who are discouraged. But most of all, may we be a signpost to you. Lord Jesus. In your sovereign and kingly name, we pray the Lord's prayer together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to stand and worship God with, O Lord, our God.
going to read from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 16. Just continuing our series on uh, the armor of God and spiritual warfare. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Okay. That's great. Um, I remember reading the fridge magnet many years ago in a shop in Newcastle, and it read, life is like an ice cream. You think you've got it licked, and then it goes and drips on you. Life can sometimes feel like that, can't it? where you feel that you're running in from one difficulty to another difficulty. But Paul is telling us in Ephesians 6 that on top of all that, we're also in a tough battle. That we do not wrestle, he says, against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. So he tells us two things. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He also commands us, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the evil wiles of the devil. And we've looked so far at how important it is to put the belt of truth on, which is the word of God. We've looked at the breastplate of righteousness, which of course is Christ's righteousness. As he takes our sin upon his shoulders, he gives us his righteousness. And last time we were looking at having the gospel of peace, shoes tightly attached to our feet, learning and understanding the gospel that we can protect its message because it is the power of God unto salvation. And this morning I want to look at the next piece of armor. It's the shield of faith. And of course Paul is using the Roman soldier as his example. The Roman shield for battle was about four foot long and two and a half feet wide. It was made of two layers of laminated wood, and it was covered first with a linen, and then it was covered with a hide, and it was, there, it was, it was covered with a fireproof metal lining upon it. Uh, the shield was usually red in color because red was the color of the god Mars, the Roman god. It was decorated with an iconic image uh, of a winged eagle to represent victory, and it all also had some wee lightning bolts painted on it. But as you can see, it was shaped very much like a door that you could hide behind. It was designed ultimately for protection, particularly from fiery darts which would fly into it, and often they would extinguish uh, as it went into the shield. June the 6th, 1944, the day of the Normandy landings, before any troops landed, 
there was a large barrage, barrage of fire from the battleships off the shores of France. The big guns, they were creating a deafening noise as they, a shell after shell after shell was fired into the heart of the enemy. And of course, it was to kill as many of the enemy as possible, but it was also to create confusion amongst the enemy and panic. Back in the days of the Romans, back in the days of the Roman Empire, the fiery darts, the arrows, they were used in the same way. The fiery darts were made of wood or metal, and they were carved into a sharp point. Then there would be a, a piece of material which would be soaked in an inflammable liquid. It would be wound tightly around the, around the, the arrow itself. And then when the enemy was coming, or they were attacking, then the darts would be ignited. Hundreds, if not thousands, of darts whistling and hurling through the air to the, to the enemy. The idea, yes, to kill as many as they could, but also to cause confusion, to cause panic in the camp. So uh, in verse 16, Paul writes, taking this to what Paul is talking about, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Now, the word above all there doesn't mean that this is the piece of armor which is better and more important than any other piece of armor. It, it actually, the translation in the Greek is, has more of an idea of include also this piece of armor. The NIV translates it better. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. But uh, before we look at the, uh, the shield of faith, I'd like to look at the God in whom we're putting our faith. In my life, I've often heard people when they're going through difficult times, someone would say, we'll just have faith. But faith in what? Faith needs an object. If you see a girl and she's all giddy and she can't eat her breakfast, she can't sleep, you might ask her, what's wrong with you? And she might say, I'm in love. Oh, well, that's great. Who are you in love with? No one, I'm just in love. Doesn't make sense. Love needs an object. Faith also needs an object. So I want to look just briefly at who we put our faith in. First of all, God is my shield. The Word of God often speaks, and I was looking this up in the concordance because there are so many references to God being our shield. Right back in Genesis 15, verse 1, God reassuring Abraham, he turns around and says to Abraham, don't be afraid, Abraham, I'm your shield. Psalm 3, verse 3, David writes, but you, Lord, are a shield around me. Psalm 7, verse 10, my shield is God most high. Psalm 28, verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. There are many places where God is referred to as shield. I'm not going through all of them, but similar terms are also used to depict God as our protector. He's our protector. David, in Psalm 144, verse 2, speaks of God as being his fortress, speaks of God as being his high tower, the one, he says, in whom I take refuge. He's my hiding place. When I was preparing this, I 
realize that the biggest shield that ever given to man was the Lord Jesus Christ. The judgment of God is coming on Mark Shaw. And Jesus goes, wait a minute, shield. He goes to the cross and is literally my shield, my hiding place, my protector from God's wrath. You know, the shield is something which a soldier can hide behind when in battle. Four foot long, two foot, two and a half feet wide, something the soldier could almost put his whole body behind, like a door. And the Word of God again and again and again emphasizes that during an attack, we're able to hide in him. He's our shield. He's our fortress. He's our safe place. He's our refuge. But it doesn't mean that we're going to have an easy life. We're in a battle. But it does mean that we will have shelter in him. I'm sure you're familiar with the story of Job. He's a good man. In fact, in those days, he was God's best. And Satan comes to God and says, Ah, Job's only good because you've protected him. You've blessed him. That's why he's so good. That's why he's so faithful to you. Let me have a go at him. And then we'll see if he's still as faithful and still as good and still willing to worship you when I've finished with him. Give him over to me. And God agrees, but orders that Satan must not touch his body. So there's a knock on Job's door. All livestock is dead. Another knock. All your servants are dead. Then there's another knock. All your children are dead. And Job falls to the ground and he worships. And he says, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I return. The Lord gave, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's on his face in the dust, grieving with such pain in his heart. His life is, has been devastated and he worships God. Satan then says to God, okay, let me destroy his health. Then we'll see how he's, how he's doing. God agrees, but he says, do not kill him. You can take his health away, but don't kill him. So Job gets sick. He's covered in all these boils. And his wife arrives to see him, and he, she, he, she says to him, Job, just curse God and die. Just curse him and die. I've done with it. Job has lost his livestock. He's lost his servants. He's lost his children. He's lost nearly everything apart from his wife. It's a pity God didn't wipe her out. <laughs> but God's ways are not our ways. But it's interesting that, that apart from Job's ill health, his wife experienced all that he experienced. She had lost her children also. But there are two very different responses. Job worships while she is ready to curse God. You know, it's easy for us to worship God in the good times. But in the difficult times, in the cape of storms, often the real us tends to rise 
to the surface, there's, we can feel sorry for ourselves. We can feel tired and discouraged and frustrated, and, and the, the anger and the bitterness can easily bubble to the surface. That's the real us coming out when we are under pressure. But when you fall down before God, as Job did, you're still in the storm. You know, God doesn't guarantee that things are going to go get better. In fact, for a while for Job, they went, got worse. But when you fall down before God and worship in spite of the storm, in spite of your circumstances, you can have a tranquility of heart, an assurance that ultimately your soul is sheltered. I'm in that hiding place. The wind's raging outside. The rain is beating, belting against the windows. But it is well with my soul. There is shelter in Christ. Now, during my God is Our Shield, during my reading week, I read a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, uh, by a man called Tyler Statton. I, I highly recommend it. Alvin recommended it to me, and I've been blessed by it. But there's a podcast which you can listen to, even without a book. You could, you could go on to the podcast, and uh, one of the interviews is with a guy called Pete Gregg, who speaks on uh, what, what do you do when heaven is silent? What do you do when you pray and you pray and you pray and your prayers just don't seem to be working. Pete wasn't long married when his wife Sammy was diagnosed with a brain tumor. But on his podcast, he, he said something I thought was very interesting as well as very biblical. He said, when tragedy strikes, don't ask God why. You may never get the answer why this side of eternity. But instead, ask God the question, where? God, where are you? And Job speaks of searching for God. He says, I've searched God in the north and the south and the east and the west, and I haven't been able to find him. Where is God in my situation? I don't know where he is. But then he says, but he knows the way that I take. He knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I'll come forth as gold. When I come out of this dark tunnel, this big train tunnel, which seems to be lasting for a long time, when I come out of this dark tunnel, I'll be stronger than when I went in at first. Corey Tenboom used to say, God doesn't have any problems. He only has plans. But let's have a look for a moment at the shield of faith Paul talks about. It's interesting to note that in reference to the first three pieces of armor, Paul uses the word having. He says, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet. But now in the last three parts, uh, the last three pieces of uh, armor, he changes the word to take. 
taking the shield of faith, taking the helmet of salvation, taking the sword of the Spirit. The first three pieces of armor are put on and kept on. Have these things. But the shield, the helmet, and the sword, they must be taken up and used. They must be lifted. There's a sense of activity. As the enemy approaches, as the on-fire darts come flying in and whistling through the air, the troops are given the call to take up the shield, to put on the helmet, and to lift the sword of the Spirit. This is the picture that Paul is portraying here for our protection. He applies it to the spiritual battle. So what I want to ask just what are the fiery darts that Paul's referring to here? What are the fiery darts which can come from the enemy, which can be to try and cause panic and confusion in our hearts, to disable us in a battle? What are they? Well, let me just stress that Satan does not go by any rule book of war. He does not follow the Geneva Convention. For him, anything goes, and probably as far as he's concerned, the dirtier the tackle, the better. These fiery darts can come in the form of anxious thoughts, doubting thoughts, blasphemous thoughts, phrases which may fill your mind to discourage you. Other darts may stir up sinful desires which lurk within us, and if we give in to these Satan's very happy to watch us squirm and sit under his heavy weight of condemnation. Some fiery darts come as persecution because of our faith. At other times, fiery darts may take the form of harmful circumstances, such as in Job's situation, as in also in Christ's situation. When Christ's in the desert, He's tempted by Satan. Satan wants to make Christ weaker. God led him there to make him stronger. Paul is telling us when these fiery darts come in full force against us, take up the shield of faith and trust in God who is your shield. Lift the shield of faith, but just don't go, must have faith, but root your trust deep into the promises, the guidelines of the Word of God. When Satan approaches Jesus, Jesus lifts up his shield of faith and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus lifts up his shield of faith and he says, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus lifts up his shield of faith and he says, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You know, when we think of examples of faith, we tend to think of Hebrews 11, which is often entitled Heroes of Faith. The chapter opens with that famous verse, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And what this verse is saying is, we look past the material world to God who is more certain than the material world. People referred to as heroes of faith there, people like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, 
heroes of faith, people who look beyond their circumstances to a God who was eternal, to a God who's steadfast, to a God who's faithful and trustworthy. But please, if you read this chapter, don't leave this chapter without going further down the chapter. The more solemn side of those who also walked in faith. We're told some were tortured. We're told that some were scourged. Some were put in chains. Some were thrown in prison. Some were sawn in two. Many were homeless and walked around like nomads, wandering the deserts, wandering the mountains, living in caves. And yet in verse 39, we're told these were all commended for their faith. Sometimes we think that living by faith will always lead to great visible, visible success, a Christian utopia. But that's not scriptural. Jesus himself was called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The shield of faith does not mean you'll never get sick or you'll never experience tragedy. No, the shield of faith is there for us to take up that in the midst of our trouble we can trust him, looking past our circumstances, not to a make-believe faith, but to a God who's eternal, steadfast, faithful, a God who never changes. The Bible doesn't tell us that we will never suffer, but it does tell us that we can be secure in Christ and in those storms that we can have that tranquility of heart. You know, an obvious example, Stephen. Stephen is being stoned and he looks up to heaven and he sees the Lord standing there by the right hand of God. Now, Jesus didn't stop the stoning. But there was a young lad there, a trainee Pharisee called Saul, who was watching everything and holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen. And such an experience, such an impact, would never leave the life of Saul, who became known as Paul. But let me just close by saying... The shield of faith is not there in order to get us out of our difficulties. But it's there to bring God into our difficulties. Getting us out of our difficulties would be fantastic. And sometimes God does that. He, take, he changes a situation for us and he brings us out of our difficulties. And it's great when that happens. But more often than not, it's about God bringing him, bringing God into our difficulties our struggles, our suffering, to know that inner peace that through the storm we are sheltered. Our souls are sheltered. Christ is with us. That even now in such storms, it is well with my soul. From the earliest days of the church, Christians have developed short, simple summaries of their faith. These summaries were called creeds. And in the light of the people's promises to support King Charles yesterday, I would like us together to stand and to proclaim our faith together as we recite what is known as 
the Apostles' Creed together. So maybe if you could just stand with me and I will put it on. Let's just declare this as our, he's our King of Kings. Let's declare our allegiance, our belief, our faith in him. Let's say it out loud together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God, God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's, continue. Let's finish our service by singing King of Kings, Majesty. <laughs>